We stand together in honor of God's word. We're, we're starting today a series in the book of Jonah, and uh, we're going to do Jonah chapter 1 today. Here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now on whose account this calamity has struck us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you have something very specific you want to speak to each person. Would you protect us in this place? from every distraction, from our minds wandering, from what we're doing after the service, for what problems we might have in our lives, would you help us right now to hear what you're speaking and allow it to change our lives? We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is Fleeing the presence of God. Before we get to our topic, uh, I just want to introduce the book of Jonah briefly to you. Jonah is a prophet. He is from a, a place called Gath Heifer. We find this out in 2 Kings chapter 14. Gath Heifer is, is Galilee. It's actually three miles from Nazareth. So here is another prophet from Galilee long before Jesus comes to the earth. He is the only prophet in the entire Old Testament that was called to speak to uh, a non-Jewish population, to go to a city, to go to a country that was not Jewish. <clears throat> he prophesied in 70, 793 to 753 BC, right in there under the reign of Jeroboam II in Israel. Uh, it was actually Amaziah in Judah. That was when the, the kingdom was split. The important thing to know about Nineveh is Nineveh was the capital of Assyria 
And Assyria were, were the arch enemies of Israel at that time. So he is being called to go prophesy to the arch enemies of Israel. All right. Point one. That's point one. It's over. Point two. Jonah serves as both a type of humans and a type of Christ. First, he's a type of us. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says that there is none, no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. It says in Romans 3, 23 that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, that we all like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way, that all of us, like Jonah, have fled the presence of God. All of us have gone our own way, done our own thing. In response to God coming to us, we've said no, we've gone our own way, and the consequence of this for all of us, all of the human race, is death. The wages of sin, or what, death, what sin earns for us, is death. But he's also a type of Christ. This is Matthew 12, 39 and 40. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now this is astonishing. <laughs> Jesus said, if you want to understand the gospel, if you want a picture of the gospel, if you want a sign of what the gospel is and why I am here, this is not a sign, this is the sign I'm giving you. It is the prophet Jonah. How so? The judgment of God could only be appeased by a human sacrifice. Jesus said, like Jonah, I will have to go overboard. I will have to be sacrificed. There is no other way. As Jonah was in the belly of the earth, or the, the fish, for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And some people have squabbled about, you know, he wasn't really there three days and three nights because he rose on the third day. In Hebrew culture and Hebrew reckoning at that time, any part of a day was called a day or a day and a night. It's, it's like Esther 4.16 when she says she's going to fast for three days and three nights and then go to the king. But then when she goes to the king, it's on the third day she goes to the king. And so the Hebrew reckoning is a little different than ours, so don't get confused by that. Jesus did rise on the third day. Human sacrifice. Romans chapter 3, 24 and 25. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. Jesus was a propitiation for our sins. And I'm just going to give you the definition of propitiation. The appeasement of divine wrath by a sacrificial offering. God's wrath, God's judgment, God's holiness demanded the wages of sin is death. It cannot be appeased except by death. Jesus came for us in our place, he sacrificed himself. He paid 
The price we owed for our sins, the wages of sin were paid by Jesus, by his shed blood. He was a propitiation for our sins. It's hard for human beings to agree with this. Why would a human sacrifice be necessary? How could the gospel, how could that possibly be what the gospel requires? Listen to what it says in Jonah 1. However, on the suggestion that he be sacrificed, it says, however, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Certainly, God would not require a human sacrifice. Certainly, what God wants is us to try harder, more religion, more performance. And so they, they say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to row harder. And the harder they row, the worse the storm gets. When we try to go around God and go around the sacrifice of Jesus, say, no, it will be by my religion. It will be by my morality. It will be by me trying harder, being a good person. I deny the need for a savior. I will save myself. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to stir the wrath of God up more. You're going to stir. You're, you're coming under justice. The justice of God will weigh on you harder. You will feel farther away from God, not closer. And it just goes against what we think. We're trying so hard. Read the story of Martin Luther. This is what the whole Protestant Reformation came from. He was a monk. He was determined to get close to God. And the harder he tried, the farther away from God he was. Then he was called to... uh, It it just wasn't working for him. So his mentor said, we're going to put you in charge of teaching the Bible. And so he sent him to Germany, to Wittenberg. and, And while he was studying Romans... It was as, a, as if a light came in. That the gospel gives a righteousness that comes from God that is by faith. And he said that light came in and it set me free. That the gospel is about not our goodness, but about Christ's goodness. You want to know the stunning thing about it? Romans 1, 16 and 17 came like a light, set him free. Do you know that the first great awakening that came a hundred years or a couple hundred years later, led by John Wesley? Here's how it came. John Wesley started the Holy Club at Oxford. He was all about performance. It was all about being good enough, getting close to God. He had his day scheduled from 6 a.m. until midnight every day. And these guys kept all of these rules. And then, of course, the only right thing to do is is to be a missionary. And so he went to America and was a, a missionary to the Indians in Georgia. And it was an absolute disaster. Because you can only give away what you have. And while he was on that ship, he, he met some Moravians that had something that he didn't have and he, he questioned it and he, 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 he knew that although he believed Christ died for the whole world, he didn't know that his own sins were forgiven. And he goes with his Moravian friend to Aldersgate. This is in the 1730s. And they're reading Martin Luther's preface to Romans the very conversion experience of Martin Luther. And John Wesley writes in his journal that his heart was strangely warmed and he finally saw it. This is about Christ. This is about finished work that alone appeases the judgment of God. And that's when the first great awakening started and he got locked out of churches so he started preaching in fields and pretty soon the fields were filled with 10, 20,000 people as they preached the gospel of God's grace. Jonah 1.15 So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. We have peace 
with God through the blood of Christ. We are now under friendly skies. God is the friend of the human race. He is, 2 Corinthians 5, no longer holding the sin of the world against them. These are friendly skies in Christ. In Christ. Here's John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Well, I don't like that. I think everyone... You know what? It's not about what you like or don't like. It's not how you think it should work or what you think would be fair. It's about God. It's about the God who made heaven and earth, who made you, who made me. This is how it works. God is offering the human race eternal life. But they must come to his son. Now there is a huge difference between Jonah's sacrifice and Jesus' sacrifice. In Jonah's sacrifice, the men had to throw him over. But listen to Jesus' sacrifice. This is John 10, 18. Here's what he says. No one takes it from me. It is my life. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the command that Jesus was given from the Father. The command was not that you lay your life down, that you die for the sins of the whole world. Here's the command that you be free, that you decide. You've got authority to lay it down. You've got authority to take it up. You, you decide. I am sending you there in my love for humanity. I am sending you there for you to restore humanity. But this will be only in partnership with you. You must, you must decide. I am leaving you free to decide. And Jesus, in his great love for you, and for me, didn't just become a human being, but he laid his life down on that cross. Well, why can't there be another? Jesus asked, Father, if there is another way, take it. I, let this cup called the sins of the world pass from me. If, there's, if it's possible for, to save them in another way, but not my will, your will be done. And Jesus took your sin. He took my sin. He took all of God's justice, all of God's wrath against sin on himself so that you and I could be saved. That's point two. Here's point three. Is it possible to flee the presence of God? Jonah 1 insists three times that Jonah fleed from the presence of God. So, is it possible? Physically, geographically, no, it's not possible. Psalm 139 says, I can't flee from your presence. Wherever I go, you're there. Everything exists inside you. If I go to hell, you're there. You cannot get physically, geographically away from God. In him, we live and move and have our being. But morally, we can flee the presence of God, even as Christians. Let me read to you John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. So all, all of us have sin that we don't even know about. And, and, but Jesus died for that and he's not even concerned about you dealing with that. He'll, he'll deal with it in his own time. What you and I need to be concerned about is walking in the light. The light is whatever he's speaking right now. Whatever he's illuminating right now. As we walk in the light, we enjoy fellowship with God and we enjoy fellowship with one another and we live a cleansed life in the presence of God. 
But what happens when a child of God, one that is a prophet of God, one that's been used by God, one that is in a relationship with God, what happens when instead of walking in the light, they choose to walk in darkness? If you've, if you've been a Christian for any time, you're not wondering if this is hypothetical. Can Christians choose to walk in darkness? Absolutely. Let's not even go there. Um, so does that end your relationship with God? No, of course not. But it cuts fellowship off. You're still in the house. You're still a child of God. But you're no longer enjoying that fellowship. You have fled from the presence of the Lord. Let's make this real. So your teenager, or maybe you are the teenager, you have done something wrong, your mom and dad brought you in, and they have assigned a punishment to you that you're going to be grounded, you're going to lose your phone, you're going to lose your internet privileges, and you feel like that is unfair. You feel like it is unjust, you feel like it wasn't really even your fault, what happened, and, and you, you justify yourself and you hold on to this anger. Now, are you still their child? Oh yeah, you're still their child. So how has fellowship been cut? Well, here's how. You can't, because you're the parent, you get to make the rules, and I, but I, I don't have to agree with the rules, and I don't have to give you my fellowship. Parents, after they have ministered discipline, try to, try to restore relationships. Sweetheart, how was, how was school day? Fine. Hey, buddy, uh, good to see you. How, how was practice? Fine. You don't have to share anything. You don't have to share anything. Well, well what's, what's going on in, uh, you know, with, with this person? Nothing. How many know your teenager doesn't have to be mad at you to have that kind of relationship? <laughs> They're just withholding fellowship. Still in the home but I have chosen to be out of fellowship. And it is funny how it affects the other kids because if you've got a number of siblings and some of those siblings are, feel like mom and dad are fair and just, you don't want to be with them either. There, it causes isolation when we walk in darkness. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, the same statement is given three times. Here's what it says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now this hearing of his voice, this is his rhema directly to your heart. This is not just the pastor was talking. This is not just uh, God spoke to somebody in the Bible. This is God lifted something that the pastor was saying. He lifted it and it was boom. It was like a piercing arrow right to my heart. This is, you're reading the word of God about what God said to others and all of a sudden it comes off the page and it's boom. It's your situation. This is what you're supposed to do right now. Now, God speaks in a number of ways and rarely do people flee his presence when he gives them a promise. They might wrestle to believe whether the promise is true. They might deal with unbelief. But usually when people flee the presence of God, it's because God gave them a command that they didn't want to keep. So what's really going on in the book of Jonah? We don't really find out until chapter 4 what's really going on. Jonah, God speaks to him, go, go to Nineveh and preach this message of judgment. And Jonah flees the presence of God. Nineveh is to the east. He goes directly west. 
He goes, he goes as far. He doesn't just leave Jerusalem. He leaves the presence of God in his willful disobedience. He's heard the voice of God and he's chosen to harden his heart and he just basically said, no, not doing it. I'm doing my own thing. Now, to many of us, we would conclude clearly he's afraid. A lot of times the reason why people disobey is because they're afraid. It's why Gideon was, was talking about disobedience. It's why Moses did. And whenever somebody is afraid, God comes and says, fear not, fear not. I'm with you. I'll help you. I'll do this with you. There's all, usually a bunch of promises. Jonah, is not, that is not his issue. He, it's not fear. He's not afraid to go to the end. of. He's, he's a very courageous man. We don't find out until chapter four what it is. Here's what's wrong. He hates the Ninevites. And he knows that what God is thinking about is mercy, not judgment. That a warning is going to give them a chance to repent and experience mercy. That mercy is actually on God's mind, not judgment. God is a gracious and merciful God. Jonah says, I knew who you were. I know you're merciful. I know you're gracious. I knew that it might lead to them repenting. So that's why I went the other direction. So I want you to think about God for just a moment. God could have reached Nineveh in a thousand ways. He could have raised up one of the Ninevites. He didn't need any preacher. He could have caused them to repent. He could have sent anybody. Why did he send Jonah? Here's why. He loves Jonah, and he wants more for Jonah. And there's something wrong in Jonah's heart. And the only way that it can be exposed is if he sends them there. If, I, if Jonah's going to go to Nineveh, he's going to have to deal with the hatred that's in his heart. He's going to have to confront what is inside of him to obey that command. And he says, no, I won't do that. 2010, the spring of 2010, John Ruck was making an announcement at Lake City and the same Sunday morning I was making the announcement at Mad City that we were going to pursue the possibility of putting two churches together, Lake City and Mad City. The two elder boards were going to meet and we were going to pursue that as a possibility and to, we invited the congregation to be in prayer and to pray for us because we were considering this as a possibility. Little did we know. I, sir, I was completely blindsided by what happened next. Call after call after call of people that had been hurt by Lake City, been hurt by this or by that or by this person, people that had prejudice against Lake City. I don't ever want to be like that. That's what we're trying to get away from. And here's what happened tons of one-on-one meetings with me and people. Oftentimes those one-on-one meetings would lead to, you need to go one-on-one and meet with Pastor John. Or you need to write a letter to this person. Or you need to make something right with this person. Because what was happening, the, the, just the idea of going together was bringing up things that they had been carrying. Wounds that they had been carrying. Unresolved offenses that were inside that were, that were hindering their walk with God, even though they didn't know it. And it took something like this to just awaken this. And we had special meetings where people talked and Lake City did the same thing. It, 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 it awakened things and caused people to have to deal with what was in their heart. I remember Pastor Andrew during this time so many beautiful things had happened in forgiveness and so many meetings had happened where people dealt with it. Pastor Andrew's like, we don't really even need to go together anymore. God's already done amazing things just at the thought of going together. So in the... uh, early part of 1997. So this is way before any of that. I'm in Minnesota. I'm in southwest Minnesota at a church in Montevideo. 
just got there. I had just arrived, and, and we had come from Faustin, which is four hours straight north, and um, I had felt mistreated in Faustin at the end. They were great to us the first three years, but as soon as revival started to come and I was taking some steps that I thought that's what I was supposed to do as the pastor is lead this church into revival and um, I was doing my best to do that and God poured out his spirit and there was revival in some and anger and hatred in others and there was like a, a, a group that started meeting secretly to try to get rid of me. I mean, it was just really, really ugly. And I saw what is possible in a church. It was, it was very, very ugly. And uh, so I'm, I'm at my new place and I'm feeling, uh, I, get, uh, I, I get word that one of my friends in Faustin has died and I'm gonna, we're, we're gonna go back for the funeral. And, and this is gonna be tough. It's gonna be very hard to go back for that funeral because I'm gonna see all of these people. And uh, obviously there were a lot of friends, but there were also, I'm going to see everybody. And so it, this is, this is not going to be easy. And I go back and I will never forget this. We're at somebody's home and it's a number of my friends, but there are a number of people that are on, that were part of the, the secret group that was trying to get rid of me. And they're there too. And I'm just like, you know what? L- let's take the higher road. And so I go down the road and I'm shaking their hands. And, uh, and I get to this one guy. He won't shake my hand. He's just... And it's humiliating. I'm in front of everybody, and he will not shake my hand. And I'm just like, you know, that thing. <laughs> and... I get back to the church in Montevideo, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying about this, and I'm... And I'm, I'm complaining to the Lord about how wrong this was. That, that this guy would not even greet me. That, you know, he calls himself a Christian. And, you know, here I am taking the high road, going out of my way to take the high road. And, and I have one of those ramas, God speaking to my heart, a direct command. Here's what he speaks. I want you to send him a letter and ask him to forgive you for what happened in Boston. Come again? <laughs> I want him to apologize. I am owed an apology. What on earth? This is why, that's the only reason I knew it was God speaking. This, I never would have come up with this myself. There's no way I ever would have asked myself to do that. that was, it was so off the grid. And I'm like, and, but once God speaks, you've got to decide. You've got you to decide, am I going to harden myself? Am I going to wrestle with this? Am I going to obey this? What is it? And it, it really comes down to, what do you value the most? When you value more than anything else, God's presence and God's closeness, honestly, there's nothing you won't do. It doesn't matter how hard or how weird it is. It's just like, if you want... This is what you want me to do? Are you kidding me, Lord? Here's what he said. Oh, well, the, the verse came to me. Matthew chapter 5. If you're bringing your offering to the Lord and they remember that somebody has something against you, go to him and make it right. That's, this is exactly what's happening. I, I am with God, but I know that I've got a brother that's holding something against me. I don't even know exactly what it is. But God says, I want you to go to him. Here's why. And I knew this. He was a new Christian. And if he didn't let go of his bitterness towards me, he was going to flee the presence of God. He needed to forgive me. Whether he was right or not didn't make any difference. He needed to forgive me. And God was going to use my letter to do that. So I sent a letter to him. Never, never heard back. You know, we don't obey because of results. We obey because Jesus told us to. 
turns out that this is the number one reason that people flee the presence of God. It's not immorality. It's not God told you to go to the mission field and you don't want to. It's simply that I don't want to let go of hatred or unforgiveness. I don't want to let go. What, what it really is, I don't want to let go of my right to hold on to this. My identity has started to be in this. And God says, I want you to turn over all judgment to me. So that's point three, fleeing the presence of God. Here's point four, and we're almost done. Obedience leads to inheritance. It was the fall of 2017. We were down in Missouri staying at a timeshare that somebody had graciously given to us for a week, and we were on vacation. It was just amazing. And Thursday morning, early in the morning, before coffee, I wake up, and the Holy Spirit speaks something into my mind, and it was, it was, my mind wasn't running yet, so that's why I knew it was the Lord. It came into my mind as thoughts, but here were the, here were the two sentences, or however many sentences. Those who want to follow Jesus will be surprised by two things. One, how much he will ask of them. And two, how much he's willing to give to those who hold nothing back. That, that, was, the, that was the direct word of the Lord to my heart. And then I started thinking about the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Jesus loves this man. He, this, this man comes and tells him what he must do to inherit eternal life and he lists all the good things that he's done and Jesus says you lack one thing. Sell everything, give to the poor and then follow me. And the man is grieved in his heart and he flees the presence of the Lord. He hears a direct word. It's a hard word. And he chooses to walk away. He walks away sad because he was a rich man. He, had, he owned a lot of property. Surprising. Isn't that surprising? That he, would, that he would ask something so large, something so central, that he would go right to the, 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 the place of this man's uh, Existence was his whole identity was in his wealth and who he was and his position. He was he was a ruler and he was wealthy. And if you're if you're a ruler, you're, part of your rulership is your wealth. And and for him to go right at the identity, sell everything and follow me, it is surprising that he would ask so much. But let me tell you what's equally surprising. Three verses later in Mark 10, Peter says, what about us? We've left everything for you. And here's what Jesus says. To those who have left, and he starts with houses and property. This guy had a lot of property, it says. To those who have left houses, property, mothers, fathers, children, for my sake, will receive 100 times that in this life and in the life to come, with persecution and in the life to come, eternal life. Jesus was not after this guy's money. He was after his heart. He had no problem with this guy having wealth. In fact, as he was planning on giving him a hundred times, if he would obey the hard thing, if he would, he was going after what was holding his heart, which was his riches, he puts in that scalpel and he wants to take that out. And once he gets that out, his hands are open and he can give him everything that he wants to give him. And he's no longer held by his riches. Whenever God asks for obedience, it's because he wants to release inheritance. What's really going on with Jonah? 
you find out at the very end of the book, God loves Nineveh. God loves the unsaved. God is not angry at them. He wants them to be saved. He doesn't want to judge them. He wants to save them. His heart is going out. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. And he wants Jonah to partner with him. And he says, Jonah, I need to pull this out of your heart. You're holding on to hatred. You're holding on to... You love the Jewish people. You're loyal to the Jewish people. But you're prejudiced. You're filled with hatred against the world. And I want to get that out of you so that I can give you my love. So that we can be better friends. So that we can partner together more. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21. An inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. What does this mean? Simply this. It's very hard for a young person that gets a whole bunch of stuff for free, it's very hard for him to value it properly and protect it. It's very easy to squander something that you don't value. So a wise father doesn't give the inheritance all at once. He releases it little by little. That You, you prove something. You, you, you prove that you value this. And then you get more. And eventually you get it all. But a wise father doesn't give it all at once. So here's the bottom line. Everything that God has in Christ is already ours. It's our inheritance. Very much like before they even went into the land, God says to Joshua, every place that you set your feet, I've already given it to you. God's already given us all things in Christ. But the way we actually come into the inheritance is little by little. Little by little, it is released. Obedience does not earn you something. It's already yours. It is your inheritance. But God uses obedience to take us to the next level, to release more. Here's what's going on on this planet right now. We have got a God who is gracious and generous. We are his favored sons and daughters, and he wants to release more. He wants to release more miracles. He wants to release more of his miracles. He wants to release more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He wants to release more of his supernatural provision. God is not holding back. It's that his children oftentimes don't obey. And so they get stuck. I'm not going to do that. Let's do something else. No, no, that's not how God works. God will, if you want to do business with God, he'll bring you back to the last thing you said no to. (laughs) In Jonah's story, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Guess what that word was? Same as the first. Exactly the same. We're going to talk about his trauma, his discipline next week. Early this year, the Lord started speaking to me about City Church and about what He wants to do here and about where we are right now. And it was, it was a, it it, it is a fear of God thing. And staff knows about this. I actually preached this message the Saturday of Intimacy with God. It's called Entering the Land, about where we are right now, what God is asking us to do as a congregation right now. And he wants to give us promotion. He wants to pour out more. He wants to release more of the fullness of what he has promised. But we, we must take the steps he's asking us to take. And so what, what I've done we made several copies of that message, and you can pick them up for free. It's right on the information center. It says, Entering the Land, and it's free. I don't know how you listen to messages. Some of you listen online. Obviously, you could just go online and watch it if you wanted to, or download it, or whatever. But this is a very, very 
critical, important time for this church. And God is speaking, and he's asking for something. And I just want to encourage you to uh, listen to that and join what God is doing at this church. All right. Could we have every head bowed and every eye closed and the usher or the uh, worship team can come back? So here's the first call. The first group I want to pray for. Maybe you are here today and you really haven't understood the gospel until now. You haven't understood why the gospel isn't just us trying to be good and God is a good God and he'll forgive those who are good. That's not the gospel. Here's how, here's how the gospel starts. We're not good. We're guilty. Every one of us is guilty. Here's how the gospel advances. You can't get rid of your guilt by religion. You can't get rid of your, your, your guilt by attending enough or by obeying enough or keeping the Ten Commandments or giving more. That is not how it works. That is not the gospel. The gospel required the God of all creation to send his beloved son into this world. He gave that son a command that he be free, that he could lay his life down or choose not to. And that son chose to lay his life down. He went overboard for you and me. He took all of God's wrath against our rebellion, against our sin, known and unknown sin, And God has made peace with mankind through the blood of Christ. And that is wide open. But just like he gave Jesus complete freedom, he gives every single one of us complete freedom. This is his command. You can hold on to your life or you can lay your life down for him. You can accept him, come to him, or you can reject him. He has commanded that that happen on this world. He's not going to make, he'll draw you, but he won't make you. And today, the Bible says this, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears my voice, he says, and opens the door, I will come in. And so if you're here today, and Jesus is knocking, Jesus is knocking, he, every knock is saying this, I love you, I died for you, I want relationship and fellowship with you. If you are hearing that today from Jesus and you want to open your door, I've got every head bowed because this is between you and God. The reason why people raise their hands is somebody help me pray the prayer to open my door and I love helping other people. So if that's you, God is knocking, Jesus is knocking and you want to open your door, would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? See that hand? God bless you. You can put that one down all over this place. I got you. Thank you, ma'am. Bless you. God bless you, ma'am. You can put that down. Thank you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray that prayer in just a moment. God's knocking and you want to, you want to open the door today. All right, I'd like all those that raise their hand. If you just place the hand you raised over your heart right now, just pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me enough to come down here and die and take my sin upon yourself, to take the judgment for sin upon yourself so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have eternal life. Lord, I'm opening my door today. Help me, Holy Spirit, open my door. Jesus, come in and save me and make me your own, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Woohoo! Could we stand together? So the second group I want to pray for is during this message, a name has come up to you of somebody that you have, and whatever you have called it, however you've justified it, you've had a grudge against them, you've had anger against them, you've had unforgiveness towards them, Or maybe it's the other situation. You know they have it against you. And God is asking you today 
to obey him by either forgiving or by reaching out to them and asking them for forgiveness. Whether they forgive you or not, that's not on you. Jesus, the only reason Jesus is taking this out of our hearts is because he wants to pour his love in. So if that's you, would you just open your arms like this and I call this the receive position. Lord, I thank you for doing business with us today. Lord, I think of that man in Faustin that you love just like you love me that was dealing with his anger and his hatred and justice and I don't even know what it all was but you wanted to invite him to forgive invite him to let go of it Lord we, we're in a, we live in a very angry world we live in a land where everybody's got their rights and today you're calling us to lay down our rights at your cross and so Jesus right now we forgive we forgive thank you for speaking we choose you over our bitterness we choose you over our right to stay angry to stay mad to stay isolated we choose you Jesus and your fellowship is the greatest thing in our life Lord forgive me for holding on to this restore fellowship today I pray and let me walk with you and let me hear your voice and let me know every time you speak no matter how hard it is that what you're thinking about is promotion what you're thinking about is more of the inheritance Lord, we don't earn anything by our obedience. It just, you release more of what is already ours when we obey. So God, I just pray for a protection over all of us that no one would get under performance mentality. But Lord, we want and we need to be obedient, sons and daughters, for these days to come. Do something amazing in us and in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name. All right, guys, we're going to have ministry teams up here. Have a great day.